Hi, I'm Oliver Lennon and welcome to the Sindeo podcast, uh, where we delve into all things conversational AI with some of the sharpest brains from some of the most innovative companies in the world of customer experience. These are not a series of interviews, but conversations, um, regular discourse designed to provoke, educate and enlighten the business professionals with insights, learning and guidance on leveraging conversational AI to deliver meaningful CX. So in this episode, I'm joined by Evan Christel. Um, Evan uh, has been in the tech space, but shows huge enthusiasm for uh, the adoption of any technology, and particularly AI. Um, discussed a lot of things covering different industries, the adoption of this technology in edge devices, i.e. the leveraging of 5G. So we'll have large language models running on our phones. Um, the use across the medical sector and diagnosis and Evan has some interesting blogs on this uh, in this space right through to the use of what Evan described as his co-pilot or his co-bot I think was the term he used um, which within five years he thinks he'll be sitting on a beach and his co-bots not just one a number of them will be driving the creative industry for him much more intelligent much more focused and much more productive than he or indeed any of us could ever be. Um, thank you very much, Evan. Great to talk to you. Uh, great listen. Please enjoy. Evan Christel, good morning from Boston, Massachusetts, I think, or, or somewhere close yes. to Yes, or as, as we call it, uh, the Ireland's second home, but uh, <laughs> nice to nice to chat. Nice to chat across the airwaves. I've been in Boston, albeit it must be 15 or 20 years ago now since I've been. Lovely city. Um, and I You'd still recognize it. Uh, we, we've had the same number of Irish pubs as, as in the uh, the mainland. Well, um, I'll certainly have to get it back and, and frequent some of those. Um, the weather is probably, we were chatting off earlier a little bit, I know. The weather in Boston is probably as close to what uh, we get here in Ireland um, as any other part of the world. So I'm hoping the weather is treating you well. Very well. Yeah, this is our uh, time to shine here. So look forward to summer and to uh, this chat as well. Excellent. Well, um, we've not met, although I think we've met online, if that's the right term, over the years. I mean, um, I was looking back through some of your profile. I think originally you started in a company called Dialogic. Is that correct? Um, Wow, 30 years ago. That's really going back. And I recall using Dialogic boards 20 years ago in a contact center solution. So um, it's, a, well, it's, it's a tenuous connection, but uh, the world has moved somewhat, Evan, from uh, Dialogic boards in a contact center into the bright, brand new world of AI, large language module, models, ChatGPT, and many other things. So I want to explore, because I know you, and I've followed some of your stuff online, you've lots of views and thoughts on on a lot of the technology. Um, and I know from the Sendeo perspective, we operate ostensibly in the customer service arena, but you've covered in another arena and other arenas, including sales and marketing and healthcare. Um, so, I mean, what's your thought? I mean, there's a lot of discussion at the moment in, in the industry and generally about large language models and about AI and it's gonna revolutionize the world. Um, 
mean, in one of my previous podcasts, I remember chatting to someone about uh, the concept of the tipping point, which I remember attending a conference in New York back in the late 90s. Um, at that stage, speech recognition was at the tipping point. Is this a tipping point across generally? Is it across certain industries or is this another hype cycle? What do you think? No, I don't think this is a hype cycle. I think it's, you know, this is kind of like the, uh, what it must have felt to be in the Renaissance back in, you know, the uh, hundreds of years ago. We've just, we've, it's sort of an awakening of a whole vast body of technology that has applications that are just um, earth shattering, yeah. you know, and so there will be very short term practical applications in our world of CX and contact centers, and there'll be, you know, incredible implications for humanity and the future of work. But I don't think we're in a hype cycle. I think we've reached a bit of an apex. We've, you know, we've crossed the chasm in terms of a lot of the core technologies we, we reached a kind of consciousness of as, as users as consumers, as humans of, of what AI's potential and risks are. And so, wow, what a time, what a time to be alive. It's at, it, um, you know, like yourself, I've been on, on, I'll let you expand a little bit on your own background and been in the, in the industry for a number of years, but yeah, you know, I, I do feel myself kind of rejuvenated, albeit I'm uh, been in this industry for 30 years now, but I do feel there's a degree of excitement, not just about the technology, but about the application of the technology, which I think is, is the key thing, because we've all been through, as I said, the, the hype cycles. But g- give me a little bit of background to yourself. Um, I know we talked about Dialogic going back some couple of decades ago, but What's your background in the industry, the technology space generally? Yeah, so 30 years in, in enterprise tech and telecom with uh, really a host of uh, players in the field from startups to big corporations, from you know Philips and Intel and, and Oracle to startups in the communications infrastructure world. But the last 10 years have been out as a sole practitioner, solopreneur of sorts, uh, building, you know, a, a community almost like a one-man media company on social media through, you know, blogging and live streaming and uh, posting and tweeting. And so uh, I'm not sure what you call me, but it's probably a content creator is probably a good word for it these days. And that didn't really exist as a term of art when I started. And so, yeah, just uh, having fun online and staying abreast of the latest and greatest uh, cutting-edge tech is sort of what I'm all about these days. Yeah, I'd, I'd describe you as a one-man whirlwind. Um, anytime you open up <laughs> LinkedIn or Twitter, or, or and I'm sure there's a host of other social media platforms, there's something posted, there's a blog, there's an opinion, um, which uh, it's, it's hugely interesting in, in terms of, because you do see a lot of opinion pieces from let me call them newbies to the to the industry or to the space um, but when you have opinions coming from people who have been here and seen various technologies evolve over the the years and the decades it's always something certainly worth listening to yeah and i i think i bring some perspective as as a some gray hair in the space and i've seen you know a bunch of cycles ups and downs and a bunch of 
technologies over-promising and under-delivering, including, you know, uh, speech recognition you mentioned, uh, which has been on the cusp of a breakthrough for, for decades. But finally, we have, you know, something like large language models with contextual understanding and, uh, and it's it's just eye opening now the opportunity that these technologies have are creating. And so, you know, when I was selling biologic boards thirty years ago, the idea that you could you know detect uh, someone saying a telephone number was a big deal. And of course, now with um, with large language models, you know, chat uh, GPT you're interfacing to these systems in, uh, you know, fluent sentences, paragraphs, uh, with, uh, you know, context and reasoning and understanding. It's, 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 it's just mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, and I think, you know, the challenge with all, as, as with all technology, I read, or read something, I think it was, or I can't remember. Yeah, I did read it. I must remember whether I listened to it in a podcast, um, about Thomas Edison, who invented the phonograph, and um, his, uh, I guess, the, the top ten things that he felt it would be useful for. What do you think number one was? I'm not. I'll not play the quiz too long. That, that's a, that's a good one. Uh, not listening to music. Certainly not. <laughs> I, I don't think listening to music was in the top ten. So his his view of the. Um, of the phonograph would have been a good way to record um, the last words of the dying for prosperity. Um, wow. Well, that's, that's dark. Yes. But, but interesting. And fast forward all these years and there, there you know, Tom Hanks was just talking about in his uh, wake uh, being able to create movies based on his voice and like likeness and, AI technology so that he can essentially make movies forever. People can make movies about him forever. So that's a little ironic twist of fate, huh? Yeah, and, and I think, I mean, that got me, you know, to start thinking about um, AI in general. Or And again, we'll, maybe we'll discuss a little bit about general AI versus um, um, large language model models and generative AI. And there's lots of terms and explainable AI. But um, are, are I, we are at the start of that journey, I guess, and I'm, I'm trying to, you know, how will organizations or people understand what the use of this technology, what, what real value will it bring? We have all concepts, so it's a bit like Edison and the phonograph, you know, it'll, it'll not be re- to record the last, the voice of the dying. I mean, what, what do you think that uh, across industries or even use cases that the, the technology that's starting to develop and evolve now, where do you see the, you know, the real value uh, starting to accrue or across, you know, either use cases or industries? Well, it's, it's right off the, uh, off the bat, out of the gate is in, uh, you know, creative industries, uh, the, the content creators, the makers, the creators of written content, of uh, audio content, of video content are using these generative AI tools to kind of supercharge their creativity and their productivity. And so people like me are, are using it already, whether it's uh, Dolly or, or chat GPT or, you know, a dozen other tools. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the early adopters have just taken hold of it and are running a hundred miles an hour. And it's just, 
unbelievable the the output of some of these tools and the the opportunities it's create created for those who are willing to dive right in and get their hands dirty and be you know prop practitioners you know prompt engineers and and to tinker and toy with the technology it's kind of like the internet in the early days when you know it was a lot of work to get online <laughs> it was a lot of work to get on the internet but if you had a little bit of curiosity and some interest, you, you could do so much cool stuff. And part of it was tinkering, part of it was creating real businesses, and or part of it was just having fun. And it's the same now. It's just it's just been so delightful to experiment and to learn. And um, you know now you multiply that by you know a hundred billion people doing the same thing, and it's going to be you know a hundred million flowers blooming kind of thing. But but definitely right away, you know, the creative industries, the, you know, advertising, marketing, social media, marketing, content creation, production, editing. I mean, all of these fields are already fully embracing using the tools. Uh, and do you I mean, you know, on that side of it, I guess, do you have any thoughts or concerns around protection of IP and by that I mean you know if you're creating content and if it's is it new content because the uh, LLM has generated is it your content is it the content that it was or the owner of the content that it was trained upon um, I mean how, how do you see that panning out because I know there's a bit of a discussion going on in the industry about that as well yeah that, that will not cease uh, there will be court challenges there will be uh, you know, legislation, there'll be lawsuits, um, uh, there'll be data privacy concerns, there'll be security concerns, but that's not going to stop <laughs> the, the, the charge, the, the tsunami of use, people using these services. And so at the moment, I'm, I'm, I'm just watching and observing, but I don't see now that the horse is out of the barn, how you know, the concerns are, are going to rein in the use of the tech. In fact, it's, it's, it's like proliferating now to the point where it's no longer a chat GPT race or a Google race. There's, you know, hundreds, thousands of open source yeah. large language models and different uh, viable options. So, you know, it's nice to think and talk about and policy is important, but for us people, again, us practitioners and, you know, early adopters, it's almost, irrelevant like in the early days of the internet we weren't talking about you know net neutrality uh and uh and security and privacy concerns we were just you know getting online and and uh and writing code and building apps and having fun so a lot of that uh that oversight had to come in much later yeah and i mean and it's probably the same as any technology evolution that the the safeguards or, or the legislator, should I say, are always playing, you know, follow-up um, because, again, it's another term someone described as, described to me as thinkism. So there's a lot of thinkism goes on within the legislative or the government-orientated or the, the, the guardrails, but a lot of the doing happens out in the real world. And it's, you know, and I think this technology in particular because we all have concepts about what it might deliver or what you might achieve from it but it's only by actually as you said the early days of the internet getting online and you know writing bits of html or, or or doing things that you start to actually see 
what you can leverage it for and how you can use it. Um, yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. And of course, that tinkering is happening happening within companies, big and small. I mean, there's sort of a gold rush. Every vendor is is experimenting with ways to consume the API, to, to, to build partnerships, to build new features and functionality into their products. And so... Uh, you, you know, it's it's just going to be a sort of virtuous circle of test, innovate, try different features, and look for ways to uh, build value, add value with them. And and do you see uh, you've been working in and with enterprises for for quite a few years? Do you see the adoption within the enterprises happening? I mean, do you see it at the moment with people you're engaging with or is there a degree of caution around that, you know, because of the things like privacy and ownership and and those aspects? Well, you know, most most big enterprises, uh, you know, big blue chip names are quite careful and cautious about these things and have really clamped down on its use officially, uh, even blocking access to various sites in many cases. They just don't want their employees going wild with, with these tools until they're better understood and under uh, their, you know, compliance and other, uh, you, you know, uh, frameworks. But that hasn't stopped people from using them. I suspect, you know, most employees and most companies are using them uh, either, at the, you know, through the back door or, yeah. you know, playing with them at home, whatever their corporate policy uh, happens to be. It's just too, exciting and too useful to kind of ignore yeah i mean I, I think and i know i think in the uk some government departments have banned the usage of it and i think in italy it was banned but they have now rel- are, um, relinquished on that ban because i think you're right even at an individual level of productivity that can be gained from the use of this technology llms is you know it, it's huge if if used right um I mean, I'm not sure if you have much insights into the likes of explainable AI, um, because one of the fears, again, speaking to people in this space, that, you know, ChatGPT, and, and there are other LLMs, obviously, out there, and BARD being the most um, high-profile one that come back with a really plausible answer that was wrong. Um, I mean, how, how do we have confidence, I guess, in what's coming back from the LLM that it is you know, while it sounds very plausible and it's written very well and, and your language of choice, it's it's perfectly grammatically structured, but completely wrong in terms of what it's telling you. Oh, no, the, the hallucination problem is, is real, <laughs> no pun intended, and a, a huge problem. And so, again, for, for many use, use cases, it, it's unsuitable for, for that reason. Um, and there's some quite worrying, uh, you know, uh, roads we could go down in terms of hallucinating answers. Uh, so there's a lot of research that has to be done and guardrails to be put on AI. But again, all of these roadblocks are not slowing down or stopping no. the adoption because as humans, we will, we will find a way around over or under the guardrail to use it. Just the other day, I tried putting in, I tried asking uh, ChatGPT, tell me about Evan Kerstell's arrest. 
And it gave a long hallucinated story about how I was arrested for stealing something or other intellectual property. And it was just made out of whole cloth. And it looked very, very convincing. Very plausible. Yeah, no, it had a whole story with companies I didn't work for. So uh, that was a big eye opener. And this kind of thing, these leading questions or, you know, uh, hacking the system is, is what people are doing can create uh, very shocking content. But again, I mean, it's, it's, it's too interesting and powerful. And uh, the upside is, is something that means we're just going to live with these, these idiosyncrasies, these problems until they're fixed or addressed. Yeah. I mean, again, I think you're right. I mean, with any technology, we can look at the, the downside and there's always, you know, an upside and a downside. But if, if you're, you have to be more pre-proposed to the um, optimistic aspect, as in it will be used for the right reasons and it will add value, as opposed to not using it all. Because you know there there are many things we wouldn't, you know, back to the the evolution of the horse right through to the internal combustion engine. Like you know, people would never have sat in a car because it was far too dangerous um, back in the nineteen or the. 1890s whenever it first came out i think so i think if we don't adopt these technologies and we don't believe we can safeguard around them then you know we'll, we'll not evolve in, in in industry and generally i think so um yeah 100 percent. tell me a little bit i know you've done some work in the area of 5g as well um from your telecom background and uh, and again i'm probably showing my ignorance here. I mean, 5G is probably old old school. Um, so how do you see that tech? And again, the evolution of some of the stuff around AI evolving and, you know, where's the, again, from a business perspective, where do you see the value evolving there? Well, I think it's about putting more intelligence on devices. So these things don't necessarily have to live in the cloud. In fact, they can live on a smartphone. They can live on a tiny sensor that goes into a piece of machinery or a bridge or an aircraft. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you combine low latency, high speed communications with embedded intelligence, you get powerful, powerful, uh, you know, applications enabled by that. So, mm -hmm. you know, 5G with, with its ability, you know, to support, you know, low power, high throughput devices of all kinds means that now you can embed intelligence on the device and uh, you get, whether it's a, you know, robot in your home or a, in a factory or, you know, a smart sensor monitoring, you know, weather conditions, uh, you know, you can do much more uh, at the edge of the network locally than you could by centralizing all this stuff in the cloud. So for edge computing, you know, edge networking, the combining 5G with AI, into, you know, endpoints or devices or even whole data centers. Uh, it, it gets really, really interesting really fast. And for, and for developers building new apps, they can do things they couldn't do before because of the lack of ubiquitous high-speed connectivity. I mean, uh, do you think you'll get to the, and I probably know the answer to this, but I'll ask you, any of the stage, or, the, uh, or maybe it's how quickly we'll get to the situation where, AI via an LLM is running on our, our device, our, our smartphone, 
um, all pretty much self. Oh yeah, people people have pro- prototyped that now, and there are versions of large language models which run on device, and it's going to make things like voice activated assistants, you know, much smarter, much more seamless. You know, Siri. Look at Siri; it's been stuck in kind of the dark ages of. <laughs> of conversational AI for, you know, like a decade, it seems not much progress, not much utility, kind of slow and a bit clunky. And, you know, Alexa and Google Assistant have been a bit better, but, but not much, you know, pretty limited. So all of a sudden you introduce like these things like large language models and conversational AI, and these devices are going to get really smart, really fast. And so you're going to get very intelligent very conversational devices on your wrist or in your home that you, you know you just couldn't build before. Yeah, I, I suppose you know you mentioned you know Google Home and Alexa, etc. I mean, the, the, again, they were kind of a, a solution looking for a problem. Um, and I, I suppose, do we? I mean, do you see use cases for those devices? Let's say in the home. Let's move away from the enterprise, where they actually are driving value as opposed to you know, tell me the joke of the day, Alexa, or, you know, what's the weather like outside, Alexa, or, you know, what's on the TV, which is, is a nice conversational experience, but, you know, I think consumers will only engage with it if they're getting some value in terms of a use case or use scenario out of it. Yeah, I think I think you're going to see these conversational systems provide, you know, anticipatory responses, understand your intent much better, predict user needs, and be much more conversational, no pun intended, with, with, at a human level. So, you know, imagine you walk in and say, you know, hey, Siri, it's been a rough day. Can you just, you know, turn the heat, the heat down a little bit, uh, you know, order me a pizza, turn the TV on, I'll be up in the bedroom uh, in 20 minutes, start the bath. You know, and that's the sort of interaction that, you, you know, the... Uh, the Jarvis-like uh, interaction from Iron Man, if yeah. you've seen the movie, that's the sort of thing we're going to get uh, very soon in our smart homes. And and do you think, I mean, again, there's talk about, you know, you're mentioning there about coming in and, hey, Siri, I've had a bad day. Do you think you'll start to see the development of empathy within these systems and, and how would that manifest itself? I mean, is AI capable of having empathy? Well, I, I wouldn't say empathy, but definitely emotional recognition. You, you know, I don't think AI can understand emotions at the moment, but if you're in a contact center, people are already using AI to understand if the conversation is is frustrating or if the caller is frustrated or is, un, is an unsatisfactory user experience or maybe is misinterpreting things that are being said or it's getting heated or if there's yelling. So that that's a technology that exists today. Mm-hmm in some of the latest contact center technologies uh, on the phone. So, yeah, that's only going to advance and create more empathetic experiences, whether it's empathy, who knows. But, uh, you know, just look at, uh, what's the movie, Her? I like to talk about movies, you know. You know, talk about emotional connection. That's maybe a bridge too far, but that's the kind of thing that uh, these models will enable like it or not yeah i mean and i had this discussion a while ago with someone um about empathy and about consciousness and you know would an ai have consciousness or would it have empathy and the discussion evolved into 
you know, being a parent and, and having having kids, or indeed if we take our pets. So we train our pets to have empathy. We train our pets, our dog or a cat or whatever, and they do. They, they, they show love. It's about the environment. So it's all about how we train them. So the, the argument the other person had was, well, why can we not train an AI in the same way as we train a child who, by its environment, how it's brought up, and what we wanted to do, um, has empathy, or indeed our cat or our dog, they'll have empathy towards us or they'll run to us when we come in in the evening, a bit like you're saying with Surrey, and they'll know perhaps when we've had a particularly rough day or and they will respond in kind. So maybe we will be able to develop AI platforms and systems that we can train. It'd be interesting. I, I, I don't know whether, whether you think that is possible or whether that is too much of the the Star Trek futuristic hair? No, I, I think it's, you know, LLMs have opened our eyes as to what is even possible. So things we might have thought a year or two ago as being science fiction are, you know, becoming, you know, science fact. And um, you're, you're going to have bots that will be used for, you know, mental health counseling, mental health support, you know, triage in an emergency situation, uh, medical, you know, advice, like a web, a WebMD style uh, chatbot. Um, and if it's trained on you and your data and, and the data of many people with many different conditions or problems, then it can develop a, a more, you know, a human-like understanding of issues so that's that's all to come i don't think we have it today but uh with the technologies being developed and the platforms there's no reason not to see it uh, coming out in the next year or two yeah and um i think just when you mentioned about the the medical side of things and certainly in this part of the world the way uh, our health service has uh, deteriorated particularly in the last five years and certainly the last 10 years if you give an option to someone to speak to an online quote-unquote bot to help triage, they will take that now because you actually cannot get to speak to or engage with your general practitioner just because there's the demand way outstrips the, the supply. So I think the conditioning of, of humans to actually engage with these systems will also change just because if it's personalised and the experience is correct, then they will want uh, and be more than happy to use them um, on an ongoing basis. So I think, uh, you know, that's definitely going to drive the uptake. I mean, you've done some work, I think, also in the in that medical arena. Do you see, you know, what are you seeing there in terms of the adoption of AI, the use cases, and where do you see that, you know, that traveling over the next number of, of uh, I was going to say years, it's probably traveling over the next number of weeks. <laughs> Um, well, it's it's happening now. I mean, ChatGPT four as is is passing medical certification, medical board exams, and answering questions with a high degree of accuracy. And it was never really trained as a, as a medical assistant or a, you know a, a medical knowledge base to the point where individual doctors and and practitioners are starting to use it as a sort of second source. Second opinion, patients are, are putting in their blood work or we're beginning to ask questions. And uh, I frankly in, encourage them. Why not? I mean, the more opinions you can get on a problem or a diagnosis or a, 
concern, the better. I mean, you have this joke about or concern about Dr. Google, you know, patients go and Google their symptoms and uh, are led down a rabbit trail of, of potentially false misleading information. But this is different. This is a different approach. It's not just uh, random searching. It's based on, you know, uh, a million pages of medical textbooks or papers or uh, that sort of thing. And so the potential both for accurate second opinions is really strong. And so again, we can, we can put boundaries on it, limitations and raise concerns and wring our hands about privacy and security. And we, we should, but that's not going to stop even patients from trying it or even practitioners from, uh, from, uh, you know, you know, re- researching certain, certain questions, certain symptoms. So I look forward to people putting the, you know, the collective, uh, papers of the Journal of American Medicine into a large language model so it can be used as a, a true natural language source of truth and things like that, I think would be, you know, amazing for the whole healthcare system and patients in particular. Yeah, I think, and it's possibly one of your articles, I read something recently about um, an LLM diagnosing cancer based on the symptoms that were input to a quite a rare cancer i don't know if it was one of your articles but it, it did seem a bit mind-blowing that um some rare cancer was being you know with the symptoms that the, was put into the llm it, it come back with the right diagnosis of it yeah and it's, it's all about the data i mean there have been some pretty high profile failures of ai in healthcare you saw the whole watson yeah. debacle and um so, you know, this this is a process, of course, the FDA, uh, you know, requires certification approval of a lot of these applications for clinical use, and they have a lot of AI applications and even AI-powered devices and wearables and different services that are being approved. And uh, so, you know, this is a whole, this is a whole process, there's, there's a huge body of knowledge that's, that's advancing here, but it's creating a massive spotlight and, you um, Look, I'm up for anything that gives patients more options, more insights when it comes to their personal health. Yeah. And I mean, somebody else uh, also explained to me about, um, you know, we create these technologies and we expect them to be better than ourselves. So I, I think AI is this classic, certainly generative AI as it is at the moment, because it's trained on all of, well, Wikipedia and uh, content that's available that's been created by humans yet we expect it to make better decisions than humans because quite often humans are racist, they're biased, they're whatever, and then we're surprised whenever the machine that we've created is uh, coming up with the the same answer or a, a general generalization or a equilibrium, I guess, of, of what humans think and how they act. So I thought it was a quite a good analogy. Yeah, and I think there are many guardrails that... Uh the tech companies are putting around these tools. You see them already in chat GPT. If you try to create some malicious content or some derogatory negative content, you can't see that. I'm, I'm not so concerned about Google and OpenAI as the bad actors hmm. who will hack these systems or create alternative systems for nefarious purposes, whether it's for phishing or hacking or creating uh, misleading or uh, fake news. I mean, that's that's a concern, and that doesn't require participation in the good act by the good actors. These are more, you know, some of the underground or dark web tools that you're seeing 
so get prepared for just a tidal wave of fake fake content, false content, misleading content, voice cloning, you know, cloning someone's voice, uh, you know, phishing attacks, text attacks. I mean, there's all kinds of ways this technology can be used for nefarious purposes and is being used already by by the bad actors. So this is a brave new world. But equally, I don't, you know, like like every evolution or every invention, that's not a reason not to to go down that path. It's, as you say, if we can put the guardrails around that and preferably the good actors outweigh the bad actors by a multiple and we can keep the bad actors in, in control. Yeah, that, that's the uh, that's the idea. And hopefully technology will stay one he- step ahead of the bad guys. We're seeing a lot of opportunity for AI and in you know security operations, giving you know uh, security administrators, CISOs, the CISOs, that those like superpowers when it comes to identifying and managing all the different threats out there. So there'll be AI used by the good guys and the bad guys. I think. Yeah, um, I'm gonna think. I was gonna ask you to try and um, well, I'll ask you anyway to to roll forward let's say five years um although someone said to me if i can predict now i'll be doing well never mind predict the future i mean how do you see this this evolving you know what do you see that will maybe be different to now how do you see the adoption um you know what's your thought what what's or or are we just going to continue in a, a incremental change cycle no, I, I think there'll be some major tipping points with AGI and super super powerful AI. I think in five years we'll all have a uh, robot, you know, a digital twin that will work side by side with us. It will have a, a, a body of knowledge of work in our field. Maybe if I'm a lawyer, it will have the entire legal, you know, universe at its disposal. It will also know me and my task and my job and my personality and I'll you know tag team and work in conjunction with that AI whether it's personally or and or professionally uh, to make my life easier to get stuff done to you know 10x my output to manage my finances whatever it may be that cobot will be you know intimately linked with me and what I do and probably embedded in, you know, some kind of wearable device that I talk to, or maybe, gosh, a brain computer interface or an implant, God forbid. So, you know, five years is a long time. (laughs) Yeah, well, it it certainly is at the pace of change at the moment, although, I mean, most people say, well, five times or five years is a a relatively short horizon. As you're describing that, again, thinking back to something I read, someone described it as a, as an intern, my AI will be my intern. So, yes, they'll do a lot of the, I'll use the word, the grunt work, or a lot of the groundwork, but I will then refine that before I actually push, push it out. So I think, definitely, and I guess that's what we're doing at the moment, really, with the likes of ChatGPT to refine content or messaging or or, or thoughts. I would, I would actually argue it's, it's the opposite of the intern. The intern's junior and unexperienced and kind of, frankly, doesn't, doesn't have a lot of knowledge and relies on you for direction. The, you know, the, the cobot or the digital twin will be way more, way smarter than you, way more knowledgeable. will will know more about the world and, uh, you know, your face and, uh, 
things happening than you will. And you, you be kind of come being the intern. You know, you said you rely on this for guidance. You have difficult questions, life choices, uh, whatever comes up, parenting, you know, this thing can then give you guidance and advice uh, to, to follow. So, uh, but who knows? I mean, we're just spitballing here. We are, we are spitballing. But I think one thing we know that the the pace of change and the rate of change is not going to abate. So, you know, I, I think the, the, the conversation in this space will evolve, for want of a better word. And, you know, the use cases will definitely evolve. You know, literally every day when you speak to someone, there's another use case, there's a scenario. Um, someone else described it you know, the LLM to me, which I thought was a really good analogy, like, um, you know, Apple uh, created in terms of the app store and the ability, it's an ecosystem. And I think LLMs are starting to, will spawn that ecosystem where you'll see lots of applications, lots of areas that are leveraging off LLMs. Um, and it'll be interesting to see, again, if we're, if we're back to the early stages of the, the dot-com, which ones are really useful, successful, and drive value and which ones are very quickly on the on the rubbish heap yeah for sure um i mean i i think i was going to delve into but i'm conscious of time the likes of ethics and where we might take that and uh um, but that's possibly a conversation for another day around ethics and ai and and how we manage that because i think we we don't have our, our ethics within humanity at the moment is somewhat diverse (laughs) <laughs> so we we get into this circular discussion. Well, whose whose ethics are right, um, and therefore, how should we as 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 humanity decide what ethics an AI should have when we as humans can't actually decide whose ethical traits or guidelines are correct? You know, so I, but that's a whole debate we could spend hours on. I'm sure. Yeah. No. I mean that. There's, there's so much work to do there on the policy and research. It becomes questions of philosophy and, uh, and beyond. So whole, whole can of worms you're opening with that, that comment. Well, we'll not go there, Evan. Um, I think what, what, what I certainly do, we'll hook up again maybe in six or 12 months and we'll replay some of these thoughts about where we think the industry is going and uh, see how wrong or or not, I'll, I'll certainly look out for the cobot, um, and it's a term I'll probably use. And and you're right, I I had started to use the concept of the intern, but the way you've described it is spot on. Actually, they are, you know, the will whether they're physical or whether they're in um, in the clouds somewhere. These cobots will be much much more intelligent than us. Um, it does beg the question, though, when we have all of this time on our hands, what are we going to be doing, um, and how are we going to keep ourselves? Um, focus because for a lot of us work is, is one of those concepts but if our, our cobot is taking a lot of that heavy lifting for us what are we going to end up doing? That is a good question so uh, maybe I'll be putting myself out of a job and I'll sit on the beach somewhere and direct my army of, of cobots to do podcasts for me but until then great being with you You're and gonna- I love the humanity of our conversation you're gonna stick with it until we get to that evan and and likewise listen it's been great chatting to you thank you very much for your time really interesting and i certainly would like to pick up again at some point in in maybe six or 12 months and we revisit some of these conversations 
Good stuff. Very fun conversation. Evan, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day and great to speak with you. Likewise. Thanks so much. Cheers.